We've been doing a bit of a um, series on discipleship and you've heard from a few people so far. Today I'm going to be focusing on the discipleship lifestyle. Okay, so it'll shortly come up on the screen. Here we go, there we go, the discipleship lifestyle. So I'm going to start with a quote from a paper written by a man named Anil Youssef. To be a Christian means to be a follower of Jesus, one who walks in his way. Christianity was first called the way because the disciples had more than a belief. They had a lifestyle, a way of living that was modelled on the words and life of Jesus. All right, so if you want to have a healthy and happy lifestyle, there are certain choices that you must make in order to get there. You might choose to exercise more or eat better food. These choices will ensure that you live the lifestyle you desire. If you want to live an authentic and effective discipleship lifestyle, I believe there are two key lifestyle choices you must make. Number one, allow God the right to speak into your life. Number two, allow the Holy Spirit to change you to become more like Jesus. Easy, right? So now, just as Sam did in her sermon, I will also shamelessly plug David's book, Finding a Discipleship Environment, from which I've drawn a lot of information for this sermon, including these two lifestyle choices. Okay, so why are these choices so integral to being a disciple? I believe that these two points, when activated in our lifestyle, form a heart attitude that will keep us from falling into the pattern of the world keep us from being static and ineffective, allow us to see things from a kingdom perspective, train us to be strong so that we can withstand the, attack, the attacks of the enemy, keep us grounded in Christ and keep us authentic, keeping it real. All right, so however, the most important reason is unless we have first implemented these lifestyle choices into our own life, we cannot go out and make true disciples of others as Jesus has commanded us to do. Sam spoke about this last time in her sermon about teaching the disciple. The teacher must be further along in their journey. So this is how we move. Number one, allow God the right to speak into your life. I'm going to play a short clip for you from the original Karate Kid movie. Pay particular attention to what Daniel, who is the Karate Kid, is saying at the beginning of the clip and how his attitude is transformed. Now, I do also want to give a language warning that is one swear word, and I didn't even realise it until Josh pointed it out to me. So it's in passing, but there is a swear word in there. So if you don't want your children to hear, then please just remove them. Thank you. I'm what? I'm being your goddamn slave is what I'm being, man. Now, we made a deal here. So? So? So you're supposed to teach and I'm supposed to learn, remember? For four days, I've been busting my ass. I haven't learned a goddamn thing. Uh, you learned plenty. I learned plenty. I learned how to sand your decks, maybe. I wash your car, paint your house, paint your fence. I learned plenty, right? Uh, not everything is as simple. Oh, bullshit. I'm going home, man. Daniel-san. Daniel-san. What? Come here. Show me sand floor. I can't move my arm, all right? What are you doing? What are you... Ow! Ow, what are you doing? Now show me sand floor. How did you do that? Shut up! Sand floor. Stand up. 
show me Sandoflora. 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 Big sucker. Sandoflora. Sandoflora. Now show me wax on, wax off. Aye. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Hey, wax on, hat. Wax off. Hat. Concentrate. Look in my eye. Lock a hand. Thumb inside. Wax on, hat. Wax off. Hat. Wax on, hat. Wax off. Hat. Wax on. Wax off. Ush. Show me paint fence. Up, down. Up, down, up, down, other side, look eye, always look eye, show me paint the house, side, side, knock wrist, side, 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 show me wax on, wax off, Yes! Show me pen defense. Hey! Hey! Yes! Show me side to side. Yes! 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 Show me sand of floor. What a beautiful example of the master and the disciple. After Daniel asked to be trained to fight by Mr. Miyagi, he did not expect to be waxing cars and sanding floors and painting walls. He wanted to learn karate, not housekeeping. But as we come to see, the master, Mr. Miyagi, had a bigger plan. He was teaching Daniel vital foundation stones to the art of karate. Have you ever come to a point in your walk with God where you felt a little like Daniel? God, I've had enough. I don't understand what you are trying to teach me. I feel like I'm going nowhere. Well, at the beginning of the clip, there are two things that I see. One, Daniel thought he knew better than the master. Two, he did not believe or trust in the methods of his master. Now, I feel that in regards to this issue, I can certainly relate to God a little bit. Many times in the music classroom, I get the comment, Oh, miss, why do we have to do theory in class today? I just want to do prac. I don't need to know this stuff to play my instrument anyway. To which I kindly reply, um, excuse me, are you the teacher? Because do you think you know better than me? It frustrates me because I know for a fact that if they understand the theory, they'll be able to excel in their practical work. If they don't, in the long run, they will crumble. They will ultimately not prove to be an authentic and skilled musician. How often do we think we know better than God or not trust in what he's asking us to do because we don't think it's a good idea? 
Moses thought he knew better than God once. In Exodus chapter 3, we see the account of Moses and the burning bush. God said to Moses in verse 10, So now go, I am sending you to the Pharaoh to bring my people Israelites out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? In other words, Moses was saying, Are you crazy, God? You want me to walk up to the Pharaoh and tell him to set the Israelites free? Yeah, okay, like he will listen to that. Nope, it's not going to work, God. I know better. So God's response to Moses is in verse 12. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. How's that for a response? Moses, I am so sure that this will work, that when you're done, you will be back here worshipping me. Just you wait. But Moses was still not convinced. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am God, I am all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty, always present, all-loving, I am master. Do you want to question me again, Moses? God imparted strategy, kingdom strategy to Moses, a plan that required trust and obedience, a plan that could not be carried out in human strength alone, but with God all things are possible. God's ways are not of this world, and for his plan to work out in our life, if we are to effectively go and make disciples, we must trust and believe in all he is, does, and says to us. When I was growing up, I had an amazing piano teacher. She taught me for over 10 years, right from primary school all the way to university. She is one of the most inspirational people I know and was more than just a piano teacher, but someone who instilled much of God's love into my life during our lessons. However, over the years, there were some very interesting techniques that she would use to teach me different skills. Some of them involved closing the lid and playing on top in order to acquire a certain touch or a new level of inner hearing. We also had some lessons when we would march around the room, and this would help us to better understand the beat or a difficult rhythmic passage. I used to think what an outsider would think if they saw us marching around like this. These exercises, as strange as they were, enabled me to excel at piano and become a skilled musician. If I had not trusted her methods and followed what she asked me to do each lesson, I would never have gotten into university and become a music teacher. In Isaiah 55 verse 8 to 9, God says plainly, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than, sorry, yeah, my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. By the end of the Karate Kid clip, Daniel began to understand that Mr. Miyagi did know what he was doing. He just had a different perspective. In the words of Mr. Miyagi himself, not everything is as seems, Daniel. God has a kingdom perspective, one that we need to develop more and more in our lives. We need to think not like people who live in this world, but in the kingdom of God. This means that sometimes what God is asking us to do may not be what we want to do or what we think should be done. God's ways are not our ways. 
But if we trust Him and allow Him the right to speak into our lives as the master of our hearts, we'll begin to see that the methods of the master produce powerful skills in us that we will use to defeat the enemy and bring many to Christ. I believe this is what it means in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, when it says we live by faith and not by sight. So why is it so hard for us to trust God in His ways? Well, the opposite of faith is disbelief. God has revealed to me that at the heart of this mistrust is a belief that maybe God is not really good. Maybe He doesn't want good things for me. Maybe He's holding out on me. In the Karate Kid clip, Daniel thought that Mr. Miyagi was just using him as a slave. This is where our defence mechanisms shoot up. Dr. Bruce Thompson, writer of The Divine Plumbline, gives a really good illustration of this distorted image we place on God. Now, Stacey's about to put a picture on the screen, and it's not the best picture because I drew it while watching Plumbline, okay? So it's not good and there's grammatical errors, but I really want to give you an example. So this is what it looks like. Obviously, I was in a rush. You can see that the man, he's looking with his eyes, and as we read God's Word, you can see the Bible there, um, our head can see and know that he is just and kind. And we see the correct image of God, so the smiley face. Um, however, our heart often questions the goodness of God. So we might be asking, why didn't God heal my mum? Or why did he let this happen to me? And you can see the smiley face slowly turning to a sad face. So due to things that happen in our life or ways that we have been brought up, we start to cast a shadow and a distorted image over the real image of God. These distortions keep us from intimacy with Him and cause us to close off sections of our heart, not giving God the right to speak. This lie that God is not good has been around, in fact, since the beginning of creation. In Genesis, sorry, in the Garden of Eden, the devil told Adam and Eve this lie. In Genesis chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good um, for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The serpent caused Eve to question God's goodness, to question if he is holding out, if he doesn't really want the best for us. These days, the lie is becoming even more deeply rooted in society. Have you heard any of these comments before? If God were really good, why would he let good people go to hell? If God were really good, why wouldn't he let two people who love each other very much get married, even if they are of the same sex? If God were really good, why would he let bad things happen to good people? The list goes on, but I hope you can see how deeply rooted and deadly this lie is to us. This lie brings with it despair, captivity, fear, and a war between God and us. God is so good. This is the truth. And we must know it deep in our hearts if we are to allow Him the right to speak into every area of our life as His disciple. 
Psalm 100 verse 5, For the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. 1 Chronicles 16 verse 34, Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His love endures forever. Psalm 86 verse 5, You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call on You. And there are so many more, but I think you get the picture. In fact, God is so good and loved us so much that He sent His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the truth. But as we read in Psalm 25 verse 8, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore He instructs sinners in His ways. His ways are not our ways. He might not do things as we might want Him to, but that's His right. He is God. He is the Master. We have to stop trying to fit God into what our minds can comprehend because He is mind-blowing. Our God parted a sea, shut the mouths of lions and allowed people to walk in a fiery furnace. He does all things for the good of those who love Him, but not necessarily the good as seen by the world. Because do you know what else is good? Vegetables are good. Exercise is good. Homework is good. Regular checkups at the dentist are good, but we might not like them at the time. God works for our ultimate good. Examine your heart. Are you acknowledging Him as the Master? Because when you do, you bring true glory and honour to His name. Do you believe down to your very core that God is good? Or are you holding on to a lie that is separating you from true intimacy with Him? If you are, you need to bring it straight to the cross. Repent for believing those things about Him and then ask God to reveal to you the truth in that area of your life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. Why? Because He knows best. Submit to Him, allow God the right to speak and you will live an authentic, impactful and adventurous discipleship lifestyle that will make the Master proud. Okay, so the second lifestyle choice, allow the Holy Spirit to change you to become like Jesus Christ. In order to be an effective, authentic disciple, you must be willing to change. I once heard the story of a man who prayed to God, Lord, what is your will for my life? I don't know what I should do. If I should go that way or this way, I just want to do your will. So God replied, son, Here is my will for your life. Are you ready? Yes, Lord, tell it to me. What should I do? What should I do with my life? I want you to become more like Jesus, more and more each day. What? said the man. You you don't want me to become a movie star? Nope, that's it. Yes, God has given us gifts and talents in order to carry out the call and purposes He has on our lives. But ultimately, His will for us as a disciple in the kingdom of God is to become more like Jesus. This process is also known as sanctification. Our will lining up with the Father's as we walk further and further into maturity. There is a man who asked a very similar question to this in the Bible. He is known as the rich man. Matthew 19, verse 16 to 21. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself. 
All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Come follow me. Back in Jesus' day, they didn't have Twitter and Facebook. So you couldn't just start following someone with the click of a button. You actually had to walk around with Jesus if you wanted to hear His teaching and learn more about Him. So when Jesus said, come follow me, He meant literally, get up, follow me, learn to be like me. This is how you will do the will of the Father. I recently downloaded the app Instagram. And the first person that I wanted to follow was, of course, Taylor Swift. From her posts, I can learn a lot about her fashion, the people she associates with, her favourite concerts and her core values. So even though we can't just click a button to follow Jesus, it is still very simple. You just have to open your Bible. You can even click the Bible app on your iPhone if clicking buttons is your thing. When I follow Jesus' posts in the Bible, I don't learn much about his fashion choices, but I find something else. Jesus had faithfulness that calmed storms and raised people from the dead. Joy that made him the life of many dinners and gatherings with friends and family and even the tax collectors. Peace that stopped divisions among his followers and enabled him to continue the work of God despite constant accusations from the Pharisees. Kindness that gave to the poor and fed 5,000. Patience as thousands upon thousands came to see him. A group of men even dug a hole in the roof to get closer to him. I've never seen anyone do that for Taylor Swift. Imagine the Facebook post. Group of men just dug through the roof to see me. Hashtag, there is a front door. Hashtag, Jesus freaks. Jesus had, a good, Jesus had goodness that he would heal the blind, the lepers, the crippled, and comfort those in need. Gentleness that drew even the little children to be around him. Self-control that when tested by the devil in the wilderness, hungry and alone, he would not give in to the enemy's schemes. And finally, love that led him to sacrifice his own life for you and I. If you haven't realised already, Jesus' life produced all of the fruit of the Spirit in abundance. If we want to be more like Jesus, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us to produce good fruit. Matthew 7, 20-22, Thus, by their fruit you will recognise them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Sanctification is also known as the baptism of fire. Just as much as we need the Holy Spirit to change us to produce good fruit, we also need to clear out all the bad stuff. Luke 3, 16 to 17 says, John answered them all, I baptise you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. As Paul Hilton put it in his sermon a few weeks ago, we need to get rid of all the worldly stuff, absolutely anything that is not of Christ. This is the chaff that will be burnt up, for if we don't burn it, all that we have left is weeds that will choke our good fruit. Now let me be completely honest with you. When the Spirit puts you through the fire, it isn't pleasant. It's a place of testing, stretching and discomfort. 
In the fire, you can expect the following things. For your foundations to be shaken, for the walls that you have built to keep yourself together to be torn down, for the quality of your work to be tested, for the quality of your character to be revealed, for you to be brought to your knees in repentance, for all parts of your identity that you have not built on Christ to be ripped apart. Isaiah 48.10 says, See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. But did you know that the greatest fear that keeps the majority of us from wanting to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and change us in this way is that in the fire, we are seen for whom we really are. Some of us work so hard, maybe even for an entire lifetime to build up a pretense or a facade in order to cope in life, in order to escape and not deal with the real issues of sin or pain in our life. In the fire, no falsehood or pretense will stand, and your authenticity as a disciple of Christ will be tested. Lisa Bevere puts it this way in her DVD series, Fight Like a Girl. God is looking for more than real in your life. You can be a real piece of wood, but if you go into the fire, you, oh sorry, but when you go into the fire, you'll come out as a real piece of ash. God is looking for authentic. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, and this is the amplified version, we read, and all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continued to behold in the Word of God, as in a mirror the glory of God, are constantly being transfigured into His very own image, in ever-increasing splendour, and from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let me see if I can add any more clarity to this verse for you. When I wake up in the morning and look in the mirror, sometimes I get a bit of a shock at what I see. Now, once the state of my face has been revealed, I have two options. One, I could leave for work exactly the same and have people look at me funny all day. Or two, I could decide to change, to wipe away the panda eyes, to brush my hair and tackle my day looking my very best. Change requires action. So when the Holy Spirit reveals an area of our life that we need to change to become more like Jesus, then we must act or we will remain the same. God is looking for character that has been tested and proven and come out as gold. You see, the fire may reveal who we really are, but the way we react will determine who we will be. So will you be more like Jesus? What action will you take? You may need to confess, repent, surrender, or maybe stand up and fight, declaring the truth, the Word of God in an area of your life. The fire is just, a much, just as much about the burning out as it is about the way we rise from the ashes. Have you ever seen a forest that has been completely burnt through? Black. When the first signs of new growth begin to bloom, they are the most fresh, the most green, the most alive, and even more healthy than the trees were to begin with. In Isaiah 61 verse 3, it says that God will bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendour. In order to live a true and authentic discipleship lifestyle, we must continually allow the Holy Spirit to bring the purifying fire into our lives. This is because the more the fire burns out what is not of Jesus, all that will remain will be like Jesus. We will become more like Him and be fulfilling the will of the Father.
Finally, if we are to be more like Jesus, we must obey His commands. Now, we did a whole sermon series on the commands of Jesus last year. So if you don't know what they are, go and find out. Listen to the podcast and read His Word. Make sure you know them because the responsibility to keep them falls entirely on you. Okay, so to wrap it all up, to live an effective, authentic, impactful discipleship lifestyle, there are two lifestyle choices we must implement in our lives before we can effectively disciple others. Number one, allow God the right to speak into your life. Number two, allow the Holy Spirit to change you to become more like Jesus Christ. Remember that both points begin with allow and require action on your behalf. It is your responsibility. God will not force it upon you. And more than that, don't just allow it, but seek it. Seek Him. Jesus is coming back for those who are seeking Him with all their heart. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So what are the outcomes of a discipleship lifestyle when these two choices are implemented? You will be an overcomer. You will save sinners from the gates of hell. You'll be able to bring true peace, hope and freedom into the lives of those around you. You'll be victorious over the enemy. As David says in his book, empowered disciples are Satan's deadliest enemies. Finally, people will want the lifestyle you have. And this is how we introduce them to Jesus. I would like to leave you with one simple question that I believe we should ask ourselves more often than we do. And thank you to David Thomas again for this. Are you more like Jesus than you were, oh sorry. Are you more like Jesus today than you were yesterday? Thank you. <laughs>